An anti-hero is a character in a story or drama who, while filling the role as the main character, doesn't exactly fit in as a protagonist or follow the rules of the good guy character as we understand them. He doesn't come in riding a white horse or dressed in gleaming silver armor. He doesn't follow a moral or ethical code or act altruistically for the benefit of his fellow man. The anti-hero does what he does mostly for his own self-interest, which sometimes, but not always, can be seen as helpful for the supporting characters. Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name is a classic anti-hero among many, along with Travis Bickle, Max Rokitansky, Snake Plissken, Frank Castle, Hannibal Lecter, Jeff the Dude Lebowski even, Tyler Durden, Judge Dredd, John Wick, and Han Solo. And that's just to name a small handful. Generally, we wouldn't think of any of them as truly selfless, noble, or even in control. In actuality, the anti-hero is more likely to be lazy, apathetic, amoral, bad-tempered, violent, and greedy. Yet, more often than not, we find ourselves cheering for these characters and applauding them for their actions. Perhaps it's the moral ambiguity in what they do, or because even if they themselves are bad, they're still facing off against someone worse than themselves. I've always believed that Tony Montana was the perfect example of an anti-hero. Because even though he was the main character, there's no denying that Scarface was simply a straight-up villain beset upon by other villains. And that, my listeners, is what brings us today to learn about Pedro Rodriguez Jr., nicknamed Pedrino Matador, or Killer Pete, in his homeland of Brazil. Pedro is, without a doubt, a serial killer by definition, with at least 71 murders to his name, at most over 100. He was also, at least on one occasion, a cannibal and a mass murderer. So here we are again, after a one-week hiatus at the Human Delicatessen. I'm Chris, your host, and as promised, today's topic is something special. If you haven't figured it out already, Pedro is probably not going to be your average run-of-the-mill serial killer. So without further delay, let's dive in and find out why. Before we begin, there's something that we all need to keep in mind. Brazil is considered a third world country, but is on the rise as a developing country. Pockets of the nation still suffer from low living standards with high birth and death rates. Due to the unstable infrastructure and the dramatic difference in financial classes, some parts of Pedro's story don't have a historical record and were only told by Pedro himself, giving a first-hand account years after the fact. That's not to say so much that he might not be telling the truth, but rather than choosing to keep certain names left unsaid in order to protect himself from future targeting. It also might explain why I couldn't find the name of his mother. He may not have had ever had a birth record to begin with. What we do know is that Pedro was born on July 17, 1954, in Santa Rita do Sapucai, a town in the southernmost region in the state of Minas Gerais only a few hundred miles from Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. These three states would serve as the main economic hubs for Brazil. Born on a farm that his parents worked as laborers, Pedro didn't benefit financially from the rich economy of Minas Gerais. 
Pedro's father, Pedro Sr., was an abusive man, prone to beating his wife regularly and quite severely. At one point, he had gotten so carried away with beating up his wife that he had kicked her hard in the stomach when she was still very pregnant with Pedro. This would cause Pedro to be born with a bruise on his head and a damaged skull. Keeping up with our habit of considering nature versus nurture every so often on this podcast, if his damaged skull, complement of his father's vicious kick while he was still in the womb, was a source of Pedro's future violent tendencies, that would likely place Pedro on the nurture end of the spectrum. Whether or not it was part of the lasting effect on his possibly damaged brain, Pedro first felt the urge to kill when he was 13 years old when he got into a fight with one of his cousins and pushed him into a sugarcane press. The machine, which squeezes the sugarcane branch between two grooved rolling pins to wick out any moisture, sort of looks like an old-fashioned industrial clothes wringer. Whether you consider him lucky or not, Pedro's cousin didn't die in the machine, but did, however, lose an arm when it got caught between the two rolling pins. At 14, Pedro committed his first official murder when, grabbing his grandfather's shotgun, he shot and killed the deputy mayor of Santa Rita in front of City Hall in broad daylight for causing Pedro's father to be fired from his job. Pedro Sr. had worked as a security guard for a local school, and when he was falsely accused of stealing some food from the school cafeteria, the deputy mayor, having no evidence, decided to have him fired. After killing the deputy mayor, Pedro then tracked down the other security guard, who was the actual thief who worked at the school, and shot him dead as well. Pedro then fled to Sao Paulo to avoid arrest, where he took up a career of robbing drug dens and killing drug and human traffickers in order to keep food in his belly and money in his pocket. At some point, he met Maria Aparecida Olimpia, who he lived with soon after they had become lovers. He would still busy himself by killing local rivals in the area, including a few that were his ex-associates. Maria eventually became pregnant, but Pedro's violent act, or his acts, came up to haunt him as she and the unborn baby were lost when she was captured and executed by a rival gang leader. Pedro escaped the attack that cost him his lover and child, but he bided his time by setting up his own drug business and recruiting a few strong arms, gaining strength until he could exact his revenge. Eventually, Pedro had enough strength in numbers to begin his aggressive counterattack and avenge his murdered family. He would torture and kill multiple people at great length to find out who exactly had killed his fiancée and child, with limited success. Then he was approached by the spurned ex-wife of the rival gang leader who gave Pedro her ex-husband's name. Pedro and five of his associates found the gang leader at a wedding party where they left seven people dead and 16 wounded. Amongst the dead was the gang leader and the killer of, the, of his lover and child. His vengeance had been fulfilled and he wasn't even 18. When Pedro's favorite cousin had become pregnant, her boyfriend refused to marry her and left her during her pregnancy. Pedro responded to this family insult by tracking the boyfriend down and shooting him dead in the street. 
Pedro's first official arrest came on May 24th of 1973 for one of the many crimes or murders he had committed against another criminal. It would be a long time before he would see the outside world again, but he was far from finished filling out his own form of vigilante justice. While Pedro was being transferred from the courts to the prison, there were two other prisoners in the transport vehicle with him that were also transferring, transferring to prison. One of them was a convicted rapist. Whether Pedro knew he was a rapist already, or if the inmate had told him so, the result was the same. When the police opened up the doors to the tra prisoner transport vehicle, they found that Pedro had already killed the rapist. The authorities had sentenced Pedro to 126 years, but he was also technically set to be released in 2003 because, regardless of the crime, it was prohibited in Brazil to incarcerate anyone for over 30 years. Pedro's reputation for taking enjoyment from specifically killing criminals made him fairly hated by the other inmates and was targeted by those who were locked up with him. At one point, he was attacked by five prisoners at once, but managed to kill three of them before chasing the other two off. In total, while he was behind bars, Pedro killed around about 50 fellow inmates, most of which were all in for murder or rape. He drove his point home by tattooing the words, U mato por prazer on his arm, which translates to, I kill for pleasure. He would continue killing and attacking fellow inmates, sometimes for survival and other times just for the thrill, and would get more years added to his sentence, extending his incarceration until 2017. Brazilian law, it seems, could be overlooked in certain cases, especially if the convict was a diagnosed psychopath, which Pedro was diagnosed as during his incarceration. At some point, Pedro had found out that his father was in the same prison that he was, for murdering and dismembering his mother with a machete. Ever the one to get revenge? Pedro visited his father's cell, where without delay, he stabbed and hacked at his father with a homemade shiv 22 times. Afterward, he would carve out his father's heart, take a bite out of it, and spit the pieces back on his father's body. Generally speaking, the terms psychopath and sociopath are not often used as a label for mental illness, at least not as often anymore. Today, mental health professionals prefer to use the more specific label of antisocial personality disorder, which is characterized by antisocial personality or behavior and impaired or complete lack of empathy or remorse. Under the umbrella of antisocial personality disorder, there are different branches of behavior traits that can differentiate how the disorder manifests itself in a person. There's odd, which contains paranoid and schizoid delusions, dramatic, which covers antisocial, borderline, histrionic, and narcissistic disorders, and anxious, which includes avoidant, dependent, and obsessive compulsive disorders. Pedro would be diagnosed by a prison psychiatrist as being both a bit odd and dramatic, as he was easily insulted, held severe grudges, and prone to rage out under threats of danger, which are all indica indicative of paranoid personality disorder. 
Pedro also had a lack of care for the rights of others, at least those that he targeted. For those unlucky individuals, he also had no qualms about using intimidation or violence to exploit others for his own pleasure, or and he would lash out violently with an intensity that was not always on par with his provocation. These traits would fit perfectly on a person with antisocial personality disorder. If some of you were thinking that a few of these traits sound repetitive, or if these disorders seem to sound a little familiar or similar to each other, you're not wrong. The tricky thing about personality disorders is that sometimes there can be two or more comorbid conditions that exist together, independent, but share some of the same symptoms. You can also often see this in instances of depression and anxiety. Sometimes you just can't have one without the other. The term psychopath tends to be considered synonymous with someone being crazy or mentally insane, which would probably be pretty far from the truth in Pedro's case, as he was known to be fiercely intelligent and had a clear mind and thought process and possessed a photographic memory. During his incarceration, Pedro would also find time for romance, as he had the opportunity to start a pen pal relationship with a female prisoner who was locked up at a nearby facility for 12 years for theft. After her release, she would begin to visit Pedro, and the two were allowed to have conjugal visits. One of Pedro's cellmates made the wrong decision to try to sneak a peek on the couple during one of these little extapades. Pedro ended up killing him for his transgression. Pedro would be released in 2007 after 34 years behind bars. He moved up to the northeast, still in Brazil, in Sierra, and found honest work as a caretaker and housekeeper, wanting to go straight this time to focus on his relationship with his girlfriend, who he had never named publicly for her protection. The authorities, it seemed, weren't finished with Pedro just yet, as he was arrested again in 2011 in his rural home, home for charges regarding riots and false imprisonment, both crimes that he had committed during his incarceration in Sao Paulo. Pedro had briefly escaped prison, but was recaptured again in September after he, the police had received an anonymous tip that he returned to his last known location, hiding around the city. Pedro was convicted for his participation in six more riots and for the false imprisonment. Even though he committed even more crimes during his sentence, Pedro was finally released in 2018 as a free man for the last time. Aside from the occasional guest spot on local podcasts and starting his own YouTube channel, where he documents aspects of his life and discusses his past, including his baptism, Pedro has lived a quiet and peaceful life so far, while still promising that if he or his loved ones are ever threatened or harmed, he is still more than willing and capable of exacting deadly revenge. And there you have it. Another oddity of the human condition for us to ponder over and discuss as a week goes on. I don't know about y'all, but I get some pretty strong Dexter vibes from Killer Pete here, with his tendency to exclusively kill murderers and rapists. It's no surprise that Pedro is a little bit of a folk legend in his homeland. When I was doing my research for this episode, I couldn't help but think that he actually looks like a pretty likable guy. 
far from those haunting pictures of serial killers and criminals you can't even that can't even claim half the body count that Pedro has. Maybe that's part of what makes him the perfect psychopath that the prison shrinks claim him to be. He doesn't have that dark and brooding blank stare of most serial killers, like a shark when it's stalking prey. Perhaps that's because the act of killing, for him, never darkened his soul or blackened his heart. To him, everyone's life that he ended was someone who deserved it, someone this world could do without. For Pedro, he felt just as good for killing a rapist, drug dealer, or murderer as you and I might feel when we take the time out to sort out our trash for recycling. Credit for bringing this topic to my attention goes to my dear old dad, Oscar. Thanks, Pops. This was a good one. Next week, we're going to hop across the big water to the land down under to talk about what Catherine Knight did to her boyfriend, John Price. And I'll give you a hint. It was not pleasant. If you liked what you heard today, or what you've heard me talk about in the past, go ahead and do that thing where you click the appropriate button on your app to like or subscribe to my channel. You can also follow me on Facebook at my Human Delicatessen page to stay updated on news about future episodes and anything else that happens in between. I know that we all like hearing about serial killers and other depraved people, but if any of you guys have any of the other suggestions that aren't particularly murder-related, I'd love for you to send them my way. I'd like to change things up as often as possible so I don't get carried away sticking to a single genre. The only thing I won't be talking about is anything to do with aliens. Sorry, Jim. But thank you again for being patient while I was away last week on vacation. Last week showed me just how out of shape I'm in and how much I depend on naps after a day of hiking and being out on the water. But I'm back now, and I have to say, it felt weird not working on an episode last week. But anyway, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk again next week on The Human Delicatessen.